This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Welcome to TechWave, Gartner's podcast for technology-driven business results. I'm your host, Francis Karamuzis. For today's podcast, the topic for our discussion is the Gartner 100 Club. These are real-life case studies with companies that have achieved $100 million or more in quantified value. Given these criteria, uh, may come across as a little difficult for many of our small to mid-sized enterprises that Gartner works with. We also invite those companies that have 100% or triple-digit benefits year over year. In this Gartner 100 podcast series, we invite leaders from these companies to give us this firsthand account of their journey um, and see where they embarked on this truly incredible achievement. Today's guests are from Ericsson, Mr. Ricard Wieselforce and Mr. Milap Patel. I'm honored to have them in our TechWave podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Maybe you could introduce yourselves and maybe share how long you've been with Ericsson or where in the world you reside, as many of our listeners, while they are global, I just want to indicate that the two of us are different continents. Ricard? Thank you very much, Fran, and thank you very much for having us. Uh, so I'm Richard Wieselforce, and I'm heading up the Enterprise Automation and AI Unit at Ericsson. And I'm based in Stockholm, Sweden. And my purpose and the purpose of my team is to radically transform Ericsson through intelligent automation and AI. Uh, I've been in this field for many years, but I still think we're only in the beginning of an exponential journey that will radically change the way we work, and then I mean uh, companies in general, but also how we are, as individuals are perceiving our work. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion today, Fran. Yep, and uh, thank you so much, Francis, for, for having us and having uh, me here. And I'm Mila Patil, and I'm leading the strategy and the transformation for the enterprise automation AI team. And I mean, I can only echo Richard here on the thoughts about the future. I mean, I remember in the beginning of this millennium when I was still a student, and I was thinking that, hey, now the train of the future is picking up pace, and I was kind of in a hurry to get onto it, speaking about the internet era which was kind of transforming the way we lived and work. But I think we stand here again now with a train that is much larger with ability to not only transform, but actually disrupt everything we do in every industry and every market and in every society. And there's the area of artificial intelligence, really. So I'm very excited about what the future holds for us and to be part of shaping it. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining. So let me set the stage for our conversation about hyper-automation or intelligent automation. And the reason I embarked on this Gartner 100 Club idea and invited companies like Ericsson is I've been a lead analyst um, at Gartner on this type of research for about nine years or maybe close to a decade. And one very critical item, in fact, a challenge that many companies um, that I've spoken to, in fact, hundreds of companies, maybe over a thousand, is that they've made investments in intelligent automation, hyper-automation, or whatever name you want to give. I think Ericsson calls them exponential technologies. And these investments um, have continued unabated for well over a half dozen years. 
However, only a small percentage of organizations can actually showcase the value or the benefits that are measured and quantifiable. And so repeatedly, year after year, um, a lot of companies make investments and sometimes struggle to kind of have good conversations with the C-suite about the value. So now fast forward to 2023, and I've interviewed uh, several CEOs and CFOs, and they're looking to start quoting on earnings calls what impact they're making. More specifically, they want to update their shareholders with some context and specificity. They don't want to just say, yes, we've been investing in AI and here's this great example of an AI project. This no longer suffices. That's actually table stakes. As such, these leaders want identifiable, traceable, and quotable numbers. And to that end, um, while the growth was brisk before, the trigger of generative AI um, this past November and the fervor that that has uh, served to fuel um, a great bit of growth even more. And so with that backdrop, um, we have Ericsson here with us and they're going to take us through their multi-year journey. So maybe we'll start with Ricard with the first question. Maybe you can share a little bit about that journey. Absolutely, Fran. Uh, we started our enterprise automation and AI journey in 2016. Uh, at that time, we had no staff in the enterprise automation and AI team, and we had no capabilities. But we had a mantra, and the mantra was think big, start small, scale quick. So in 2016, we put quite a lot of effort into setting the strategy. Uh, and uh, we had an hypothesis, and that uh, was that and has continued to be basically that if you combine exponential te technologies like machine learning, blockchain, low code with an AI driven transformation approach, you should be able to reach a factor 10 improvement in business outcomes and customer experience. Uh, from the beginning, we also had an, uh, another uh, uh, hypothesis or, or, or idea, and that was that you really need to instill AI first mindset, not only in the central team, but across uh, uh, the, the whole uh, organization. And then we started small in 2016. We started with working with one unit and uh, with one solution. And that uh, showed very uh, uh, good return on investment. And then we basically continue working with other units. And the way it works at Ericsson is that the different units, they pay us for our products and services that is called business funded uh, and if we don't deliver value we will have no uh, customers so if i then uh, move forward then from 2016 all the way till today uh, 2023 uh, today we are working with all different units across ericsson we have done around 300 different solutions and this what i've talked about before the business funded what the different units are paying us for has increased 22 times. And basically since 2016, our sales, if, you want, if I can use that uh, term, has doubled every year. And that I really think shows uh, that our approach to drive really business-driven, value-driven has, has, has worked. Wow, thanks for so much for that background. I love that mantra, think big, start small, scale quick. And that 22X, um, really deserve some repeating to give our listeners a sense of what that means. 
I interpret that as proving your success time and time again, because there is no promised budget each year. Unlike a lot of other companies that I speak to, um, uh, some of our Gartner clients, some of our prospects, where they say, my budget went up this year, my budget went down. Your group starts with almost like a zero budget and each initiative must be proven and get funded by the business unit. So that is really, um, sounds like one challenging, but um, sounds very rewarding because you get the buy-in from the business. So I would summarize that as no budget, but a proven funding approach. Um, as such, I'd interpret as you, I'd interpret kind of what you described as demonstrating credibility, maybe 300 times over, um, as I think you did about 300 different funded initiatives. Um, so with that big question, with, so with that, one of my big questions is, what results did, they, did you achieve? Or as we say in America, where's the money? I mean, I'd like to just take a little bit of a turn around this and, and say, okay, that's, as Rick had mentioned, right, we're most proud about doubling our business funding or actually, you know, our revenue year on year. And I think this has really proved the point in our value driving approach and kind of focusing on the real business impact. And I think this has, to a kind of large extent, been possible um, because we've been able to continue to grow our capabilities and skills, our portfolio platform, our kind of relevance and reach across the company. And to get there, you know, or in this entire journey, there has been a few defining moments that I think have been the key for 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 our results and our growth. And from 2016 to 2013. 2023, as, as Rick had explained, there are many defining moments that has fueled this growth. Um, first, it was to really demonstrating relevance and impact of AM-led transformation through addressing problems in the core business, really close to the you know key customers and problems that they have expressed. And this really made this of a strategic importance for the company. Secondly, was to set up a value realization framework or office that was continuously measuring, managing, and reporting the value. And this did not only include efficiency, productivity, or cost style, but also value dimensions like improved experience for our employees or customers or our ability to do responsible business, such as sustainability measures and compliance and so on. And this is going to enable us to reinvest in parallel with the value that we generated to kind of continuously grow uh, or accelerate the growth. The third point here is that it's about creating an AI strategy that really spans across the company and that is then owned by the executive team and the leadership. And this has enabled us to drive the strategy execution with the right mandate and the right priority required to make a substantial impact. And the last and the fourth point I think that's been driving this growth for us across these years is to always think end-to-end -end transformation. So from you know business-focused innovation, scalable foundation, reusability to cost-effective operations. I mean, to really be a full-stack organization, uh, really make it easy for our business stakeholders. Uh, and with this, the result that we're estimating, you know, a full put is a full potential of more than 500 million US dollars cumulatively enabled by end of this year. 
And this includes the full portfolio of products and solutions that have been delivered across the enterprise and since 2016. Wow, that's that's amazing. Let me repeat that for our listeners. More than $500 million in cumulative value over seven years. I guess I guess you guys get five entries into the 100 Club. Uh, I guess, well, that's my attempt at a little bit of a joke, but quite seriously, that that is indeed an amazing accomplishment. So if I kind of combine together what I heard from both of you, you started small with a few initiatives. Um, and as we kind of captured this story in our published case study, you kind of turned on the ignition in 2016 and 17. Then you accelerated and built out a foundational operating model in 2018. Um, and then you scaled in 2020 and 2021. And now you're in more of this industrialized, very repeatable mode um, in 2022 and into 2023, kind of putting you in the driver's seat for what uh, it should be some new amazing things to come as we move into this era of uh, generative AI. So over 300 initiatives in total for that $500 million in value. Um, I think that uh, summing that up is, is quite uh, amazing. So as you shared some of the background, um, there was a big variety of technologies, you know, um, RPA and low code and blockchain and cognitive agents, and of course, AI and machine learning. Um, so your team really covered this broad spectrum of technologies. So with that kind of summary, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about what's the secret of your success? And did you have setbacks along the way? Yeah, I, I can start with some uh, key success factors and I see three major key success factors. And the first one I would like to talk about is the people and skills. That we had a strong central automation and AI team with capabilities like a valorization office, uh, but perhaps even more importantly, a dedicated transformation team. And that is people who knows exponential technologies very well, knows how to drive an AI-led transformation approach, but also have specialists and, and knowledge in the different areas, like supply, for example. I think that is that is key. Another key thing is that we have people who can innovate and to uh, identify new technologies and to scale them quickly. So that's the first key success factor, the people and skills. And then the second one, which is linked to the transformation approach and what I uh, constantly talk about, the AI-led transformation. If you want to reach a factor 10 improvement, it's not about task automation. It's not about uh, automating existing processes. No, this is about thinking radically different. This is about driving end-to-end -end transformations. And the way we are doing this is that we, uh, one thing is of course our approach and our methodology, which is very much based on design thinking. But another uh, the way is the way we work. This transformation team I talked about before, those people are sitting in fusion teams, together with supply, for example, where you can constantly look, look into opportunities to do it radically different and reach a factor 10 improvement. So what I'm saying here, basically, the technology, I would say, is a small part. It's how you drive transformation that is a key, key one. So now I talked about two key success factors, people and skills and the transformation approach. And the third one, I would say, is democratization. And that's linking a little bit to what I said in the beginning, where we set the strategy 
where we sa say that it's very important to get the movement here to instill an AI-first mindset across the organization. And one way to do that is to give the individual employees technology training and governance to be their own data scientist, to have their own robot. And today we have around 5,000 citizen developers. And this learning we have done from these years when it comes to democratization, we are really using now when it comes to generative AI. Generative AI is very much about uh, democratizing. And we have built something that we call a uh, uh, generative AI uh, playground. And this is to allow our engineers to try out different kinds of large language models, not only uh, HIGPT, in a safe way. And this we are scaling right now, and soon we will be around 10,000 staff who are in a secure way can try out this technology. And the reason why we can scale so quickly is that we have learned quite a lot about democratization during these last uh, seven years. Okay, so let me see if I got that right. Um, and I'll, I'll just, for my own purposes, I'll call it the big three. So that you talk about three big elements um, and lots of subsets underneath each one. But the first one I heard in element one was the people or the talent. Um, the second one was the approach and this focus on radical transformation um, underpinned by some of or your exponential technologies. And then the third one was democratization. And I think this, if I got this right, bears repeating, 5,000 citizen developers. And what also perked my ears is another 10,000 staff. Um, so can I hear a little bit more about this democratization? It sounds fascinating. Can you kind of elaborate on it a little bit? Yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. And, and uh, typically what companies do, you recruit data scientists and, and, and developers, etc. In, in a central team, then you drive functional use cases or some kind of group initiatives. But if you want to reach the full potential with automation and have an AI-led uh, transformation and also create the movement, uh, democratization is, is, is key here. And what this is about is, of course, to offer uh, the platform to do this in a safe way. And what we have built, you can call it some kind of app store. And uh, this is quite key to have very cent strong central capabilities in this area and also to train uh, staff and to have the governance in place with uh, built-in quality insurance, gamification, etc. Another thing we have put into our App Store or our democratization platform is built-in value tracking mechanism. Because if you have 10,000 people uh, um, experimenting with generative AI, you want to be able to track the value and to identify the use cases which you can scale. And this is also very interesting with democratization. It gives us a lot of data and where we can identify uh, new, more uh, broader use cases that we should, should drive. And again, coming back to, to we have had some assessment on our automation democratization. There is an analyst claiming that we are top three in the world and the only one who has reached their pinnacle level, as those analysts say. I don't know if it's correct or not. But in my view, our learnings and our platform for democratization is something that is extremely important when we come to scaling generative AI. Because if you don't orchestrate that in a good way, you take huge risks, and there is also a big risk that you won't get the value from generative AI, which is promised by this uh, technology. Thanks so much. And I think 
One of the things that um, I want to highlight in, in what you just said is, once again, tracking the value. And so this kind of continues our series of, as we do these case studies, we think the most effective companies are not the ones, are not just the ones that are doing these great projects, but tracking and measuring uh, the value. So that was a great summary. So with this kind of big three focus areas, um, this seems to be a pretty holistic approach, you know, enabling change um, and adoption. But how do you spin all of this together? And on top of that, manage, you know, such a large and significant portfolio. Yeah, and that is basically a fourth key success factor, you could say. We are collecting all these things which I talked about now into something we call our enterprise AI engine. And that consists of uh, all our operations, our uh, responsible AI, access to data, etc. It also contains all the different technologies we have. It contains uh, uh, all the reusable objects, etc. And that is the platform which is keeping together all these 300 solutions. Because if you have 300 solutions without this kind of enterprise AI engine or some kind of orchestration layer, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult with lifecycle management. It will be difficult with keeping up responsible AI. And it will also be very challenging to keep down the cost, in, 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 in my view. So this is something we started with 2016 with building one uh, a stone and then we put the stone on each other since then and now we have a whole house and that is our enterprise AI engine which we are very proud of and which, uh, and which will be very handy now when we, again when we come to, to generative AI. And if I may just uh, add in here and I think this story has of course not been a really straightforward and there is of course been a lot of bombs on on the road for us to get here, and we learned a lot along the way as well. So we've had quite some, had some setbacks and 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 failures and and learning as well on the way, right, Richard? Yeah, if you are in the technology forefront and also in the methodology forefront, I, I would say that we are. Of course, you're bound to make mistakes, and some mistakes you're not allowed to do, like in compliance and security when it comes to responsible AI or ethics, etc. But uh, and those we have avoided. But we have other, done other mistakes. But the way I see those mistakes is more of a learning and uh, to be able to use that to move on and to do even better. And, and uh, perhaps you can give some ex- examples, uh, Mil, up here of mistakes we have done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're spot on there. I think that's, it's kind of a must also, you know, to do those and have a few setbacks when you are applying innovative and creative approach and continues to try to find new and better ways to you kind know, of reach your goals or your objectives. I think some of these setbacks are really your failures, if you may call it, you know, have really truly shaped so say, our, our story. And one example I could think of is that when starting off the journey back in 16, we, we promised more or less to automate all repetitive tasks in Ericsson by 2021. Of course, we not, did not succeed. But I think the kind of setting up gross and hairy target was needed to get a foot into the door and get the required attention. Another such example is kind of overcommitment that we've done many, many times. And I think that, for instance, we, pr- we proposed to our executives for a ye- few years back that we could more or less replace or, you know, uh, augment our shared services with a digital twin that was 
totally automation AI driven. I think this was more of a vision for us. Um, but again, it was a bold statement. Um, and this one was mission impossible we learned. And at least then it was too complicated to stitch together such a diverse and global company and all of the processes that we have with varying data structures, systems, and so on. But no, now three years later on, we are on it again, driving autonomous business. And I think the mantra here is, is to never give up. And I think last example I'd like to give that was that we were having a very visionary view on, on the world back in, again, when in 1617, we really believed blindly that, you know, AI was the new UI, you know, the user interface. So basically the all humans within human interfaces will be AI driven. And for quite some time that rather felt like a sci-fi movie, I may say, but I don't know, now perhaps with the technological advancements in generative AI, I think we're actually closing in on that gap. Mm, now yeah. we're talking generative AI. This is all the rage, you know, starting in November 2022, at least among more of the users or lay people. I think some people in technology had seen elements of ChatGPT and generative AI long before November 2022. But what happened is in a mere five days, you know, ChatGPT reached a million users and it's been the talk of the town since then. So now there's probably somewhat over 100 million people with some familiarity of this concept of generative AI. And guess who they are? Their employees, their customers, their suppliers. So has your organization done some experimentation with generative AI? We definitely have process. And I mean, since the day that this technological kind of breakthrough was evident to us, we started off. And I mean, to, and to be, you know, now Genetive is really shaping up to be a game changer in many different fields of our business. We have since the beginning of this year been driving the enablement of this technology across the enterprise. And it is what it had mentioned before. We call it kind of our democratization efforts really here in which our ambition is to hand the power of Genetive AI to every employee in Eris. But if I'm going to be completely you know, honest and frank about this is that this didn't for us really start now in November or, or right after this, it started much earlier because we, we've we been kind of looking into this natural language processing or different type of uh, AI-driven products and solutions across the business for many years. And I think that we have been driving towards finding new ways of, of, of applying AI in a way that they can really support the business in, in generation of of, of different business outcomes. But what this really does with the large language models and the breakthrough is that it really accelerates uh, that uh, this movement, it really helps us and enables us to drive more radical transformations, so to say, through these solutions and products. And for us, this is also a key now because we can really now leverage our, um, our, uh, enterprise AI engine that Richard mentioned earlier. Um, and because it now holds, so to say, our you know, enablers like data access, security, responsible AI practices, operations, lifecycle management, and so on, we can really now focus on the business relevance and impact and see how we can capitalize, so to say, on, on, on the value proposition that generative AI brings to us. 
And today we see already a substantial significance uh, of joint AI in several areas of our business. Now, some of this includes content analysis and generation, for which we deployed our own platform called the Generative AI Playground. It's sort of our own chat GPT version, but leverages multiple large language models and have sort of say different bells and whistles on with regards to security, privacy, compliance, and legal to ensure that we don't take any business risks that we shouldn't. Another big area where we see a substantial significance is around these, you know, intelligent agents uh, where you can apply this in sales and marketing, in uh, contracts and digitizing all our contracts, in the HR and talent acquisition, in legal counseling, in our IT and HR support, to mention a few. And the third uh, example we really see is, is around software development. Uh, we have something called the Coding Buddy, which is an AI augmented support for our software engineers to help them generating code and explanation, documentation, test generation, bug identification, correction, uh, and so on. So let me see if I got those right. The first one was Generative AI Playground. The second one was intelligent personal agent. And the third one is a coding buddy. Um, those names sound interesting and I love the descriptions that you gave. Maybe you could pick one and, and elaborate more on it. Sure, I mean, let me take an example of the coding buddy. Uh, I mean, now software engineering is in our business, core business. And uh, we have about 22,000 professionals in this field. And imagine that they would have kind of a buddy, a digital buddy who can act as a digital paraprogrammer, supporting with auto-completing code, take on activities such as documentation or testing or fixing, you know, low-level issues. I mean, imagine that this power could bring if they could, you know, enhance productivity by 20 or 30% for a population this big. Imagine how much more satisfaction would bring to their jobs as well when they can focus on what they are best at and let uh, this buddy, so to say, taking care of all of the side activities that are must in order to really produce good results. That's just one example of how this could be making a huge difference for us in our business. Yeah, that's yeah. super helpful. So with uh, 22,000 people, I think that's another example of at least our U.S. version of uh, describing um, what you said earlier is we call it a BHAG. Uh, big, hairy, audacious goals with 22,000 people. Or, you know, it was often referred to in the 60s as a moonshot, where you really set these big stretch goals. Um, and then, you know, based on what you achieved, is quite amazing. And so, as I sum it up, it sounds like a great success story. So, let me ask, uh, how would you guys bookend this conversation? You know, do you have any parting thoughts, maybe um, some words of wisdom you can share with our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Fran, and and uh, I don't know if it's a word of wisdom, but but just some uh, mantras that has worked for us. And the first one is this: think big, start small, scale quick, and and uh, that we have started with from the beginning. And then I had another mantra which I haven't mentioned before, which we have had, and that is three percent slides and ninety-seven percent execution. I think in many big traditional companies, it's a little bit too much slides floating around and these are new areas and you need better to execute and have a methods where you can handle the risk uh, uh, that is my 
my experience and if 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 I may look a little bit into a prediction and and um, and this is my own belief I think as I said in the beginning that AI will radically change the way we work and it will challenge the Tayloristic functional way of working uh, and instead of this Tayloristic functional way of working which most companies have worked like from 1920s or, or before at least the traditional companies we will see a completely different democratization uh, where you put the power close to the customers and and I think this will be a major major disruptions on companies and how we work but also on how individuals perceive uh, their work so very interesting uh, area to to, to be in And, and thank you very much for a great discussion friend thank you so much Ricard and um 3% 3% slides and 97% execution. I think that is a great summary. And today we had zero slides. So I think we're in good stead. So thanks to both of you and to all of our listeners. Stay tuned for next month where we have another real life case study of the Gartner 100 Club. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations. 